Good morning. Hey, happy fourth, everybody, or happy third, right before the fourth. Happy fourth weekend. We hope you're doing great today. Hey, my name's Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're excited to be continuing our series, Summer Vibes. We're exploring through the book of, the happiest book of the Bible, Philippians, and today we're going to be jumping into Philippians chapter 2. I just want to say, Pastor Jeremy sends his love this morning. He's spending time with family and refreshing, and we're so excited he gets to do that this morning. Shout out to those joining us online and at the Nacogdoches campus and anybody else tuning in this morning. If you're watching on the road to the lake or if you're watching, maybe you're with family this weekend, we're so glad you're taking time to tune in and be a part of what God is doing here. Hey, last week we heard about uh, four facts about happiness, and we're going to recap this every single week, along with give you a summer vibes to memorize, one of the scriptures in the book of Philippians uh, that we want you to memorize. And Pastor Jeremy gave you one last week. You're going to hear the one for this week. And it's really just a goal for you to kind of get it into your heart. Uh, David said, I have hid your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And the goal of this summer vibes time, this this time where we're all feeling fresh and all feeling fun and all excited to be in the summer season. We're, can you believe it? Like, I don't want to crush your vibe, but like we're just like a month and a half away from school kicking back up and everything. They're shushing me already. Uh, hey, enjoy this time. This is what we, we, we want you to have fun. We've got some stuff for you on your way out of service today. We want this to be a fun season. Like, it is fun to come to church. Amen? Amen. Amen. That was not a strong, it's fun to be in the house of God. Amen. Amen, good, okay. Just as long as we're on the same page, we want you to have fun. And so the idea is that you would take a little bit of each week and that you would hide it in your heart every single week. And a part of that is, hey, you can read the book of Philippians in 14 minutes, and I like to read it and I like to listen to it. And it was right around 14, 15 minutes. So you could do that once a day, you could do that a couple times throughout the week and just really kind of get uh, in your heart one of the happiest books in the Bible. So four facts about happiness, it's in your worship guide there. Uh, The very first thing is, I don't find happiness, I create it. It's a part of us understanding that it's not about the pursuit, it's not about looking for it, it's about us putting into practice uh, practical things for us to actually create happiness in our life. The next is, happiness is not the right goal, it's a byproduct of right thinking. So the Disney movies, the pursuit of happiness, all of these things, like we think happiness is the ultimate goal. But really what it comes down to is creating happiness in your life by thinking and doing things that produce happiness. The next is happiness built by happenings is short-lived. Maybe you've had a great vacation this year. Maybe you're getting ready to go on a vacation. Maybe you've been at one of the happiest places in the world, Disney World or Disneyland, or maybe you've been different places that really uh, made you have some incredible memories, and those were those were things that produced happiness, but it won't necessarily keep a lifelong uh, happiness inside of you. It's something that um, happening happiness by happenings will be very short lived. And then the last thing that you're going to hear in this series is happiness built by right habits is sustainable. And our heart this series is to give you some habits, some practical things that you can do on a regular basis that will help uh, uh, happiness be sustained in your life. It's not all about finding Prince Charming or the princess in the dress or finding things that make you happy, but it's about doing things that will keep you happy, doing things that will help produce happiness in your life. So we're jumping into Philippians chapter 2, and as Paul the Apostle is writing this, he's in a prison cell in Rome, and this is one of the four prison epistles, and Paul's writing this out of a spirit of happiness and joy, which really doesn't make sense to any of us. 
that someone who's been in chains for the gospel, that's been, in, been put in behind a prison, probably a very cold and dark prison cell, is somehow finding the light and the joy inside of them to write this happiest book of the Bible. It doesn't make sense to us uh, emotionally that someone in that kind of state could produce enough happiness and joy to write a book that sounds like this. But he's not only, it's not only the happiness and joy in his heart, it's the happiness and joy that comes from the relationship he had with this specific church in Philippi. And he's writing to them, uh, really is called one of the happiest books because a lot of his letters, there were some happy moments, there were some joyful moments, but a lot of them had to do with some correction and um, almost rebuking different things that they were doing and him trying to help them get it right. But Philippians, the, the, the church in, in, in Philippi, actually were doing so much good and had done so much good for the three months he was with them that he really had nothing but really good things to say. A couple warnings here and there that you'll hear in the coming weeks, but really it was thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for who you are. Continue being the church that you are. He was really happy and proud of this church. So we're gonna jump in. Philippians chapter two, verse one this morning. You can turn it on on your Bible. You can open up your Bible. Uh, it should be there online there this morning. And it says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. He's saying, I'm already happy, I'm already joyful for who you are, but you can actually make me happier by doing these things. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly. Agreeing wholeheartedly. We, we struggle very much with that. Um, as humans, we struggle very much with that in America. Agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your, your own interests, but take interest in the others, or take uh, an interest in others as well. Take an interest in others too. And your summer vibes to memorize is there, Philippians chapter two, verse three. It's on the bottom of your worship guide. You'll see it popping up online there in a little bit. But take that, it's talking about being humble and thinking of others. And, and really that's the whole concept of today's message is the humble path to happiness. It really comes down to humility. We're gonna talk all about humility and how you can show humility in your life. Um, but that's one of those verses that we want you to get into your heart that really helps you understand that it really is more important for you to be humble and think of others than be constantly thinking about number one, to be constantly thinking about yourself all the time. And in fact, when we think about, Pastor Jeremy kind of alluded to it last week, uh, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness that's in our Declaration of Independence, which we're actually celebrating tomorrow. It's an incredible uh, thing that we as a country have this thing called freedom. Freedom to come into this place and worship, freedom to come in here and worship Jesus Christ because you might have freedom in other countries to worship, but it's not necessarily to worship Jesus. And I am incredibly grateful to be raised and grown up in a country that believes in freedom and believes in giving you the unalienable right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. However, what we do sometimes is we take that a little bit to heart, a little bit too much to heart in the sense that it becomes our right, it becomes our life, it becomes everything that's about us, and it's teaching you to be a little bit too individual in your relationships when really God's asking you, hey, I want you to not consider yourself so much, but learn how to consider others. And that's what today is all about because really what it comes down to, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness comes down to a few things. It comes down to having enough money in the world that you don't have to worry about anything. 
like making sure that you have everything taken care of, all of your investments are secure, uh, you've got a couple houses that you can jump around to if you need to, you got your kids set up, you're set up, college is paid for, student loans are paid off, come on somebody, like wouldn't that be incredible? Like you just feel like you got everything taken care of, like that's a good, good place to be. This is, this is the world and American view of pursuit of happiness, and it's not this is not a bad thing. I don't want to, you to think that I'm like, knocking our freedoms and knocking our, our pursuit of happiness, because I'm not. I just want to make sure that we're understanding that it's not all about us. Like the, the humble path to happiness includes us taking time to put others into perspective, to put others in front of us, to recognize that there are other people that if we would help make them happy, that if we would help their life, like God would add to your happiness and to your joy. Another thing is you and your family in good health. You know, that's something that we want to constantly work towards, being in good health and, and you know, praying for good health and praying for us and our, our bodies and our children's bodies and our friends' bodies, like people that are kind of in our areas, in our sphere of influence. It's surrounding you. It's surrounding the I. It's surrounding me. And then a good support system, people that support you in your job, people that, that help you when you're in need, people that give you a hand up when you need it. It, it really comes down to the, the pursuit of happiness is all about who? It's all about me. It's all about, it's all about you and your perspective. Um, when really Jesus, and he did this when he was here on earth a couple thousand years ago, he lives counterculture, and he speaks counterculture, and he is counter to the culture that we live today. So not saying that everything in America would be flipped on its head when Jesus came here, but I guarantee you, Jesus isn't coming here to be a Republican or Democrat. Jesus would be in this world today living upside down compared to the American dream. And he would be living according to others and serving others and loving others, and that's what he's calling us to do today. There in your notes it says, humility is the key to unlocking true happiness in your life. Now, we think that there are things that I just talked about, and we think there are things and very specific things that will make us happy, not having to worry about finances, not having to worry about jobs, not having to worry about life itself. Like, we think those are the things that will make life a little bit lighter, a little bit easier, a little bit happier. But really what it comes down to, it comes down to humility. When we think of, like, some of this, the stars, the celebrities, the athletes, that we look to on a consistent basis. We wear their jersey, we watch their movies, we get excited to hear their music when it drops. We get really excited about all these things, but I'm telling you, some of these celebrities, and you hear the stories over and over and over again, and it almost seems like it really isn't, like no celebrity is safe to divorce or, and, and they're human, but they're just on a, a bigger pedestal, but you know, drug addictions, alcohol, all of these things, but it would seem like, man, you have six houses, like you should be happy. Like I'm just trying to get one house, like I'm just trying to get one car. You got a, a garage full of cars, but it would seem that even these celebrities, even these people that we look up to, that we would consider, man, like if I, if I just had a little bit of that, I would be happy. Right, but what happens is actually these celebrities, uh, people have encounters with them and it actually marks these celebrities for who they really are. Uh, James Corden, the late, late show, really funny guy, seems like he'd be a lot of fun to be around, seems like he'd be a lot of fun to kind of have interaction with or try to get a selfie with. Uh, well, it recently, these are recent, um, like as of just a couple months ago, uh, recent stories of some celebrity interactions that we would consider, they have everything they need, they're happy, they're excited, they're joyful, they're fun to be around, at least, that's what the camera makes it look like. Uh, James Corden was in a, a, a coffee shop. They got his coffee wrong. He threw the coffee at the barista because it was wrong, and he stormed out of the coffee shop and said he was going somewhere else. That's, and I'm not, listen, these, they're human, and I don't want to like, give you a bad rap of them because I don't know them. I'm just going based off of the article that I read. But the reality is we think they're happy. We think they have all they need all the time when in reality, clearly, they're not. 
Randy Jackson was at a children's hospital recently, and he only came out when the cameras were on live. He only came out when they were taking pictures. He hid in another room and asked for people not to come around. He was like, it's gonna be a no from me, dog, the whole time. Like, while the cameras were not on, it's gonna be a no from me. But while they're on, he's smiling, taking pictures, but apparently he was a jerk to a lot of the families and kids in there. Julia Roberts, like, the biggest smile, seems like she would be, you know, so nice to be around and, and so great to meet. Uh, apparently, she's had several interactions with people that have uh, deemed her some words that I'm not going to say uh, from the stage this morning. Uh, but one of the most recent ones, she lost it on a photo shoot and started throwing the camera equipment around. Um, like, it just, it's crazy. Miles Teller, the guy with the cool stash. Any, any uh, wives in here threatening their husbands if they come out with the, the Top Gun stash? Mine did. She said, she said, don't worry about it. I'm going to leave. I'm going to turn off my location if you come out with that kind of stash. Because she's saying it's not going to look good. I really, we watched Top Gun like a couple days ago. I loved it. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a good movie. Um, but like the stash, like I just feel like if I just, you know, just took it off and just kept the stash, let the stash grow out a little bit. But I'm going to stay humble. I'm going to not go with the, you know, just a little twist there. But anyway, Miles Teller slapped the guy's phone out of his hand trying to take a selfie with him. The reality is these guys and girls think they, we think they have everything that we could ever want. We think they have everything that we could ever need. The very thing that we're praying for, like they have access to so many of those things. If I could just get one of them, if I could just meet them and just kind of get to know them so I could be on their good side, so I could, you know, maybe get one of their cars or one of their autographs that would go for a lot of money. The reality is those people aren't happy either. Because the happiness is built on a couple things. It's built on uh, worldly things. It's built on worldly treasures that as we continue to build and build and build our worldly treasures, those are built on sand and eventually those are gonna wash away. There's no true happiness in materialistic living. There's no true happiness in having all of these things. It's not that God has a problem with things. He has a problem when you have a problem with those things. He has a problem when those things in your life, the houses, the cars, the, the clothes, the whatever it is, when those things become a God to you, when those things become your true version of happiness, that's when God begins to see pride seep in. And, and, and listen, these, these celebrities, they didn't start out this way. Most of them wouldn't have started out you know, throwing a coffee at somebody. They probably were extremely generous and kind at some point, but there's an element of pride that begins to creep in. And when you're pride over humble, when you're prideful over humble, there's a lot of things that can happen. I want to talk about that tonight, but or today. But one of the things that the reality is, pride guarantees unhappiness in your life. Pride guarantees unhappiness in your life. It's all throughout the Bible. If you go through the Old Testament or New Testament and you see a significant fall of one of our biblical heroes, of one of the people that we take uh, a lot of, of content or scriptures from, at some point if they fail, it happened because of pride. Literally Satan, who used to be Lucifer, one of the worship directors in heaven, fell to hell because of pride. He saw God being worshiped. He said, hey, you know, I should be worshiped over here. I should have people bowing down to me. And that's the whole, that's when sin began. It began with the root of pride. The, uh, there's a story in, in Luke, and I, I like to reference this, this story a lot because it's really a, a story that could have been written a lot differently. And I think we all wish it would have been written differently if you are familiar with the story. But there's this, this man that approaches Jesus, and he's known as the rich young ruler. We don't know his name, we don't know his story, we just know he's rich and he's young and he was a ruler of some kind. So he ruled some sort of city or village or community and people looked to him, he had lots of influence, he had a platform. 
And he goes to Jesus, and the very first part in, in, in the, the part of Luke that you read this, he actually starts with the correct posture. He goes and kneels before the, the feet of Jesus, and he calls him teacher. Now, he calls him good teacher, and Jesus asks him some questions, and um, he's asking him, you know, who says this and all of these things. You can go and read it in Luke uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Matt, Matthew chapter 10. It's also in Luke, but this one is in Matthew. And he says, ask him some questions, and he says, hey, I have everything here. What must I do to gain and inherit the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus begins to ask him, and Jesus obviously knew where this was going. He obviously knew who the man was and probably all that he had, and, and we don't know how long this conversation went, but it ended actually pretty quickly because he begins to ask him, he's like, well, have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Yes, I've kept all of them. I've been great my whole life. I've been doing good my whole life. All 10 of them, check, 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 check. Um, and he's like, you know, I, I'm also, you know, going to, to, the, to the temple. I'm doing everything that I should be doing as a good Christian. And Jesus looked at him, and in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And I think he felt genuine love because he knew what was about to happen, but he was giving him the chance of a lifetime, honestly. Like this man had everything, but clearly he had everything and still nothing. He had everything and he was still in one. He had everything and he was still looking and desiring for something new, something different, something fresh. And he knew the right person to go to, but he didn't have the right heart. His posture might have been correct. His approach might even been, have been correct, but his heart was not right. Because it says this, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done. You've done all these things. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Like, th there were a lot of people that followed around Jesus. There were a lot of people that, you know, probably would go from city to city uh, with Jesus. But there were very few people that Jesus said to come and follow me. He probably had one of the same uh, opportunities and access that the, the 12 disciples would have had if he would have said yes to this. But instead, what does he do? At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. He'd worked his whole life for all he had. He, he was given you know, things through an inheritance. He, he's built all these things. He's, he's done his dues, he's given to some people, but Jesus, you're asking me to give all of it. Well, the reality is he wasn't happy to begin with. He, he had all of these things and he was asking for more. Clearly there was something missing but he couldn't do it, and he walked away sad. And it's, honestly, it's one of those uh, sad stories in, in the Bible, in, in the Gospels, I think, because this man had the opportunity to possibly write a book, to possibly be named uh, in the Gospels, to possibly maybe help with the, with the new and upcoming church. Like, this, this man could have had so much going for him and probably would have had so much more happiness and joy, true happiness, true joy, that would have come with a humility of understanding it's not about everything I've built here on sand. It's about trusting in this rock that's in front of me that I don't know a whole lot about, but he's telling me to go and do this, and he's telling me to go and sell all I have and give to the poor, and if I do this, I know I'm gonna experience true happiness and joy, but instead, he walks away sad. He walks away sad. I wonder how many times in our life we walk away sad from situations, and we don't even realize we're walking away from them sad. You see, he was so conflicted in his heart because there was so much pride that he had built up from everything that he owned. He was a rich, young ruler, he was prideful, he had pride in his heart, he had things in his heart, he had, he had so much stuff, he had so many things, so many people looking to him that he couldn't just give it all away and follow this good teacher. There was no way he would do that. You see, humility reduces conflict while pride produces conflict. And pride produced conflict in this man's life and he walked away and, and we don't know his story after that. 
We don't know if he walked away and lived a long life happy in this world. We don't know if he maybe had an interaction with the local church that would eventually come later. We don't know anything about this man's story, but I think we would have known a lot more if you would have said, done, I'm gonna go sell it on, give it to every person in need, because he probably could have helped a lot of people, and I think the joy that would have come from that would have been so much greater than anything he could have ever found. I wonder how many times we're just like him and we, we walk through situations where Jesus is maybe putting us to the test without even realizing it. Or maybe it's not even Jesus putting him to the test, putting us to the test, um, but it's just an opportunity to operate in humility, to find true happiness and joy, even in the little things, like uh, the shopping carts at the store. You know, how many of you, like, ah, it's like three cars away. I'm just gonna, whoop, I hope it doesn't, like, catch wind. And listen, in West Texas, you can't do that. Like, what, I mean, they still do it in West Texas. But, I mean, it's like a racing car. Like, all the carts that are left out, like, they, they probably come out, like, every 10 minutes to get the carts because the carts will fly across the parking lot of West Texas. I mean, we've watched them uh, just smash into vehicles, you know, smash into that Mercedes, to smash into that nice car, and you're like, man, it, it literally, like, it was right by that car. It's like two, two uh, stalls down was the, you know, little cart spot. Why couldn't we have just put it there? We don't, we don't think that. We were like, ah, somebody's, you know, this is somebody's job. Somebody gets paid to do this, so I'm gonna put my groceries in, I'm gonna stop. But that's, that's, not, that's not humility. Picking up a piece of trash, you know, kind of just stepping over, looking back at it, or not even recognizing it at all, and like thinking, you know, somebody gets paid to do that. I work in this school, we have a janitor, I, I work here, and we, somebody comes after hours to clean, I'm gonna let them clean it. Man, what if you were just, what if you just operate in a little bit of humility? What about this one? This one's hard for me, and it's, I know it's probably hard for you. What if we were to give to homeless people a little bit more? And, and I, know, I know where you're at. You're like, man, they're taking advantage. I saw one of them get into a car. I saw one of them has a house. I, you know, I, I followed one of them. Well, that's creepy. Don't do that. Like, don't, don't, be, don't be a creeper. Um, but like, I've, had, I've had bad interactions. I've had bad moments. I've been taken advantage of, and I knew it. But guess what? It's not really about what that person does. It's about your heart. And, and if your heart is, has been like mine before where I quickly roll up the window, lock the car, and just kind of look this way, like I'm not gonna read your sign. I know your sign has something. Like, I've, I've been that way before. Or, or even sometimes can still be that way. There, there are so many people that stand on the corner and are asking for help. Anything helps. You know, have kids, have wife, whatever, like whatever their sign says. But a lot of times we just ignore it. It just becomes no different than a sign on the road. But I'm telling you, like, what would Jesus do in that scenario? Would he stop at every homeless person, whether they were going to use it for alcohol or not, whether they were gonna use it for drugs or not? Would he stop and just show a little bit of love, a little bit of compassion? I'm not asking you to stop at every single person holding a sign. I'm just saying be aware that maybe God wants to strengthen your humility a little bit. Maybe God wants to stretch you a little bit. I know he wants to stretch me sometimes, and especially in that scenario, like I don't always wanna stop. You know, you, you think, well, I got kids in the car. I, you know, I have a wife in the car, or I don't have a lot of cash on me. or I have, you, know, you have all of these different scenarios, but I wonder how much of that is me just holding on to me and me worried about me instead of worried about who cares what they do with it. Who, who cares? This is an opportunity for God to bless them, and then it's between them and God. If they choose to use it for something that is not of God, then that's on them but it, it releases me from not having any humility in the moment, and it also releases me and helps me to know that, man, I, I truly, there, there's some joy in that. I helped that person, no matter what they do, I was able to help, right? Or, or maybe it's in our relationships, marriage relationships, friend relationships, whatever it is. Uh, I know we have a tendency to not want to be humble in our relationships. Maybe you wanna choose uh, harmony over being right. Now, 
If you have spent any time with me and my wife, we're both uh, pretty strong-willed, stubborn individuals. We love each other dearly. We're about to celebrate 11 years, and we've had a great 11 years. But like a lot of a lot of what it comes down to is, I want to be right, or she wants to be right, or we both want to be right, and we just want to stick it out. Like we're we're going to to stick this argument out or this discussion, as we call it, but it's really an argument. You guys all know that. Like we're just we're arguing, arguing, arguing. We're sitting in the car completely silent. The kids are like, Mom and Dad, stop fighting again. You know, like we're just sitting there. But I'm gonna wait until she says sorry because it was, it was her fault, it wasn't my fault. Like you just wanna, you just wanna wait it out or, or like we've done marriage counseling and I would strongly consider like you know, getting counseling for yourself, counseling for your marriage. It's so good to have someone come in as an unbiased opinion because the whole time I'm trying to get him on my side and she's trying to get him on her side and he's just kinda staring at us, we, we, we've done it over Zoom, and he's just kinda staring at us and waiting for us to finish and then he asks us a question that makes us both feel like idiots. Like we're both trying to be right, we're not taking the humble road here, we're not trying to help each other out, we're definitely not trying to help the situation. Uh, we just wanna be right. And I was with my grandparents this past weekend and we were there and celebrating my grandpa's 80th birthday and they've been married for 62 years. Like that's, that's an amazing uh, victory in their life and they're still going strong and still loving each other. And I jokingly asked him, I said, hey, how, what's the secret to 62 years? We're, we're a good ways away from that, what's the secret? And he just kind of chuckled. He didn't even say anything. Like, I was like, no, really, what's the secret? And obviously the secret is probably being quiet. Like, he, he literally didn't say anything. And, and so I spoke for him. I was like, oh, she's always right, right? And he just chuckled. Like, it was, so, it was kind of a, a funny moment because he didn't even acknowledge that, yeah, she's always right. He didn't say, uh, you know, you have to do this, or you have to serve her, you have to serve each other. He just kind of chuckled and laughed because I think what they've probably found is the reality that harmony uh, produces uh, happiness in their life. And it really isn't about just serving her or just serving him. It's about serving each other and finding harmony together. And that comes from humility. That comes from learning to understand that, you know what, who cares if I'm right or she's right or I'm right or she's wrong. It, it, sometimes you just have to find and produce humility if you wanna create happiness. And happiness comes from harmony. Harmony comes from humility. Um, if we want harmony in our relationships, if we want harmony with each other, if we want harmony in our relationship with God, it really comes down to taking the humble road, eating some humble pie, and really understanding humility really is the key to this. Humility and understanding that if I wanna be happy, I need to understand that I need to become less in this moment. I need to speak less, which my wife says amen to. Um, if I got in trouble for anything in school, it was always for talking, and I'm still talking to this day, so <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what that's about. But like humility is the road that you wanna take. Philippians chapter two, to recap what Paul said earlier, uh, then make me truly happy. Again, he's reiterating, like I'm already happy, I'm already full of joy for you, but if you wanna make me happier, do these things uh, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together in one mind and one purpose. Like he's asking them, hey, if you can, and he's talking to the church, so remember this, he's not talking to a government, he's not talking to a family, he's talking to a church. So if anybody should lead the way in what humility and harmony looks like, it should, be, it should be God's people. It should be the church. It should be the church on Facebook. It should be the church on Instagram. It should be the church in politics, outside of politics. Like it should be the church leading the way in agreeing wholeheartedly on things and coming together in unity. Our pastor says unity equals anointing. I'm telling you, nothing is more anointing than God's people coming together and working together. 
We can get in strife so quickly, we can get in disagreements so quickly because someone said this or someone did this or someone dressed this way or acted that way or whatever, but the reality is God's like, I just want you in harmony with each other because guess what, there's lost people out there that are broken and the issues that you're trying to face in here would be a lot less if you would just put some attention on them. And if you would just focus outward instead of inward, if you would just focus on not what she did or he did, but what you could do for those out there, like I think that the reality that we could actually be happier as a body of Christ, happier as the big C church, like the entire church, if we would stop going against and thinking, well, that church does that, we're gonna do this, we do this differently than they, like really it comes down to Jesus wants us to serve lost people and love lost people and be humble and be together. So four kinds of harmony that come out of this, this scripture reference here. Um, there are, there's mental harmony. Like this is to take back to your relationship with your, with your spouse. This is to take back to your work. Uh, this is what the church should be. This is with your kids. This is with your teachers if you're in school. This is whatever this looks like. This is a way for you to understand what harmony really looks like. Four kinds of harmony. Mental harmony, which is thinking the same thoughts. Emotional harmony, which is feeling the same way about something. Spiritual harmony, which is believing the same thing. Directional harmony, which is going the same way. Like, come on, if, if we could have a marriage like that, and it's not about what she could do more or what you could do more, or what you could do less, and she could, like, it really comes down to thinking, feeling, um, believing, and going in the same way. And if we do that, I, I think you'll get to 62 years. I think you might get to 70 years because it comes from a, a desire for harmony more than anything else. Not a desire to be more stable in your finances, not a desire to be more stable in your job or where you're living or, or how you parent your kids, but it comes from harmony. And when you have harmony, you're going to do those things in the same way. And I think you're gonna do those things in a way that honors God and helps your relationships be happier. So what does pride look like compared to humility? Since we're talking about humility, let's talk a little bit about pride because obviously it's an issue if, if, it's, the, 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 if it's in every single aspect of why people have uh, rejected God throughout the word of God or even why people reject God today. Uh, let's talk about pride for a second. One thing about pride is you never wanna let pride be your guide. You never wanna let pride be your guide and, and really who we are is we allow pride all the time to be our guide. Well, I, well, I, well, I, think it should be this way, well, I, I, I looked into that, well, I, 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 and the very middle piece of pride is the word I, is the letter I, and really comes down to what you're thinking. If you, if you were to just go back to that harmony for a second, when it comes down to, well, this is the way I think, this is the way I believe, this is the way I see things going, it really is going to cause a lot of strife in your relationships. Pride is the root of every sin. Every single sin, is it, pride is the root. Sin is not just doing a bad thing. Sin is not just doing something wrong. Sin is rejecting the authority of God in your life, and that's pride. Like sin is saying, I don't need God to make this decision. I'm going to make this decision. If you have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus, step off the throne for a little bit so I can make this decision because this is about me in this moment. Pride is rejection of, of God, and, and pride is the root of every sin. Selfish ambition, which is in this verse, uh, is all, always all about me. Everybody knows people like this that like they're out for number one in your jobs, like they're trying to get to the top. They don't care who they step on. They don't care who they upset. They don't care who they offend. They don't care who they hurt. They just want to get to the top. They want to have the biggest salary. They want to be the CEO of this company. They want to make the best investments. They want to have the fastest cars. They want to have the biggest houses. Like selfish ambition, it's all about them. And then vain conceit, another part of that scripture is thinking I'm always right. And going back to the option of, or the opposite of harmony, thinking I'm always right. 
having that mindset that I can do no wrong, I can think no wrong, I can say no wrong. Every single post you put out on Facebook, because you did a little bit of research, you're right about it. Every single comment that you comment, you're right. It doesn't matter what you went to school for, it doesn't matter how long you've known about that subject, you're just right all the time. And I can tell you marriages won't last very much like that. Um, your job probably won't last very long that way because you're right and so you're gonna go on to the next job and be right there too. Like there's, a, there's a, a pattern when it comes to pride and for whatever reason, we tend to elevate people that are extremely prideful. Like some of the people we pay the biggest salaries in the world to would have the biggest egos. They would be the biggest pride and we're, we're trying to model our finances and our lifestyle and our behaviors after them when they're some of the most prideful people that have rejected God wholeheartedly and we want to do our things like them. I'm telling you, listen, the, the whole parable of, of Jesus talking to the person about building on the sand and on the rock, at some point, the ones that have the biggest egos, the ones that have the biggest houses and the biggest investments and the biggest whatever you can think of, like the, the, all, at some point, that's going to be sand washed out from under them and unless you're built on the rock of Jesus Christ and understanding it's him who has given you everything that you have and it's him that continue to can continue to increase all that you are, like until you realize it's the rock that you build on, um, that, that's gonna be an issue in your life. It's gonna be something that you're going to struggle with for a while. Uh, humility, here's what humility is. It isn't about thinking of yourself, uh, it isn't about thinking less of yourself. We all know somebody that you know, might have that false humility statement of, oh, I'm just not the best at this, but they're just waiting for that you know, reiteration. No, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you're so good. Humility isn't about thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. And again, my wife said amen. Um, because sometimes I have a tendency to think about myself. Think about myself before my family sometimes, think about myself before my kids. And it's a, it's a bad habit to have to break. Because when you get in the habit of thinking about self, it's when things really begin to be all about you and you begin to be completely blinded to what's around you, to who's around you, to the needs of people around you. Humility isn't putting myself down, it's building others up. That's what Jesus did all the time. He had every opportunity to, to literally tear people apart because of what they were doing and how they were acting, and constantly he was building people up. The people he was building up were people that we would not think that he would build up. We would think he would build up the people that were already built up, and he would build them up more. The, the rulers, the, the Pharisees, and the people in the temple, and all, we, we think he would build them up, but instead, he could have torn them down if he wanted to, but instead he built up people that are everyday, ordinary people that ended up changing the world. Humility is not devaluing me. God doesn't want you to, to put nicks in your value. He loves you deeply. You're his child, you're his daughter, you're his son. He cares about you deeply. He does not want you to devalue yourself. He just wants you to value others more. And that's a hard place to be. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a thin line. Like, don't lose value in yourself because you are wonderful, you're a masterpiece that God has created, and you have all of these gifts and talents that God has given you. The, the, the person that you are is because of God and all of the things that he's built inside of you. Don't devalue that. Value those things, but just value others more. The complete opposite of what we think in today's world, we, we wanna take care of self. But Jesus is like, hey, take care of them. Take care of them. Philippians 2, verse five through eight, it just is Paul reiterating what it looks like to have humility, and really it comes down to who humility is. Uh, it's the, the personhood of humility. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He, he was walking around as fully God and fully man, and most times he was operating fully man. 
When he would perform the miracles, it was to give glory to his father. It was never to give, bring glory to himself. He was always pointing people back to his father. Anytime he would perform a miracle, it would be, you know, you know for, for people to understand the pathway to heaven is not through all of these different things. Like he would just constantly point people back to his father, and he never used that as something to be abused. He never used his, his divinity, his, the, the godness in him, he never used it uh, for anything impure or, or wrong motives. He did not think of the equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He went all the way with humility. I can remember the, the story of Jesus sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood because the anxiety, the pain, the fear that's in his life has overwhelmed him, and he's asking God, hey, if, if you could, would you take this from me? Because he knew what he was about to walk into with the cross. He knew what he was about to walk into with the rejection of the people. He knew what he was about to walk into with the rejection of his own father. And he was having a hard time with this, but he said something, he said, but really, it's, it's not my will but yours. It's not my will but yours. And that's the ultimate view of humility. I think that's why when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. We see you praying, we see you withdrawing, we see you talking about how you pray to your Father. Teach us to pray. The very first part of that is our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Before we get into asking for forgiveness, before we get into asking for daily bread, before we get into asking for anything, we're saying your will be done. We're setting the trajectory of our heart, we're, we're taking a posture of humility and saying, God, it's not about me. As much as I want it to be, and as much as it's my nature to be all about me, I, I don't want it to be about me. I need it to be about you. Here's how to live like Jesus when it comes to humility. Because this was him. Every single turn, every single page you see in the Gospels, every single reference you see in the New Testament to how Jesus lived. I don't demand what I think I deserve. And man, we really struggle with this. Well, this is, this is my right, this is, I deserve this, I've worked for this, I live for this, we live in America, I, 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 but Jesus came and it was never about I, it was always about them. It was always about when, when he was on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It was never about, Father, in this moment, God, give me strength to get through, like, it was always, always, always about others. I always look for a way to serve, always look for a way to serve. Every single turn, it didn't matter if Jesus was tired or exhausted, like he's trying to sleep one day and he has to come up and he has to help those that, that are in need. He has to help the disciples who are in trouble. Uh, he's, he, you know, it didn't matter what turn, what way, what path, what city. It didn't matter if it was supposed to be people he was talking to or not. He was going to find a way to serve because the, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Like that's, that's his life, that's his heart. He came to serve at every turn. And that I do what's right even when it hurts. And this is where it's hard because sometimes it's hard to do the right thing because it could put you in a vulnerable state. It could make you have to make a decision that you don't like. It could mean that you have to make some changes in your life that you don't want to make. But Jesus did it at every single turn. He took the humble path. He did the right thing no matter how it hurt, and it hurt him emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. It literally hurt him in every single way when he went to the cross. But the entire time, he's thinking about you. He's thinking about you sitting in, in Timber Creek 2,000 plus years later, he had, his, he had his mind on you. While his father is looking away from him, and the ultimate rejection was not from man, but it was from his father in heaven. 
when he had to turn because the entire weight of, of every sin you'll commit and every sin I'll commit and every sin that has ever been committed was put on his shoulders. Remember, it's a rejection of God. And so God could not see his son in that state. And he took on the form of humility. He was already stripped naked on the cross. He was already humbled in front of everybody. But he became even more humble on the cross when he took everything for you. Here's what happened, though, when he was obedient, even to death on a cross. This is what God did for his son, who he said, God, if you could, I don't really wanna go through this. This is hard. It's gonna affect me and my family. It's gonna affect our situation. I don't really wanna move. I don't really wanna go there. I don't really wanna do that. I don't really want to pay attention to those people. But this is what I'm gonna do. This is what he did for Jesus. Philippians chapter two, verse nine, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He took the humble, humble path to true happiness. Jesus is now elevated above every name there is no name that is greater. There is no God that is greater. There is no religion that is higher. There is no name greater than the name of Jesus. And at one day, every knee will bow. Maybe your knee is bowed to Jesus and you've chosen to live for him, but one day, every knee will bow. It doesn't matter how big their egos were. It doesn't matter how much they built here because those kingdoms are gonna pass away, but his kingdom will last forever and his kingdom will stand strong. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus truly is Lord. And it's through a humble path of humility, if you want to, to have access to his Father, if you want to have the access to the good things of Jesus, it's through humility that we reach out. It's through us stepping off the throne of our hearts, it's through us taking off the crown and saying, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be the Lord of my life anymore. I, I need you to be the Lord of my life. There's a whole lot to this, and you, you can kind of do some research on your own if you want, but there's not a lot of time to really dive into this, but there are so many promises to God so that God has for you if you take the path of meekness, of humility, of, of humbleness. God's promise in his word to those who are humble, this is what he's going to give you. And there's scripture references and multiple scenarios to back up each one of these. He's gonna give you his power. He's gonna give you his presence. He's gonna give you his peace. He's gonna give you his provision. He's gonna give you his platform. And trust me, his platform is greater than any platform you could ever build. His platform is better than any of the fans and followers you might have right now. It, it doesn't matter if you will choose to have humility and understand who God is in your life. That's the platform I wanna stand on. I'm not even talking about a physical platform. I'm talking about the influence that you're gonna have with people around you. I'm talking about the influence you're gonna have at your job. I'm talking about the influence you're gonna have at your schools. I'm talking about the influence you're gonna have all around you. If you want God's influence on your life, then take the humble path. Then take the path of humility and understand this is not in my own strength. This is not in my own power. This is not even in my own will. This is something I, I didn't see coming. This is something I really didn't want to do. But the way he elevated Jesus, you're never gonna be at the, at the level of Jesus because Jesus came and died an excruciating death and I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be able to do what Jesus did. But I do believe that if God elevated him, that God can elevate you in your life. And if you're dealing with things in your life and you're just wondering where is God? Why is God silent? Where, where is he going to provide? Where is he going to show his power? Where is he going to help me have influence when I, when I, I know I, I have an influential voice or I know I, I need to be influential but I don't even know how. If you'll just humbly go to God and humbly approach him and not ask him for those things. No, I think just ask him for his will over yours. 
pray that prayer every single day. Pray the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a direct trajectory of how you should be approaching the Father in your prayer life. So if you're not getting the answers that you're looking for, maybe change the way that you're praying. I'm not saying there's a special way to pray. I'm not saying there's a specific way to pray, but I do believe there's a humble way to pray. And I think sometimes we get I wrapped up in our prayers and we should focus on him because he gave everything for you. The last part of, of today I wanna just quickly reference, Pastor Jeremy referenced the thief on the cross uh, last Sunday. I, I wanna read the, the scripture because I want you to hear what one breath of humility might mean for you. One moment of humility, no matter what your life has looked like, no matter what your life has been, no matter what your life, um, what you might have come from, what you might have come out of, this is what one breath of humility did for one man. Luke chapter 23, one of the criminals beside him, they're, they're getting close to death. One of the criminals beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it, saving yourself and us too while you're at it. You can hear the pride, you can hear the arrogance, you can hear the, the frustration and anger in this, this other criminal's voice. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, and listen how he says this, he doesn't ask him for anything. He, he doesn't say, hey, what, what can I do? He doesn't ask him with the rich young ruler, hey, we're almost dead here, what, what can I do to get into heaven with you? This is what he says, because he doesn't think he deserves it. He's taking the, the, the humility path here. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you'll be with me in paradise. Like one of the most beautiful statements that Jesus is, is having to take this breath to make sure that he knows because of your humility in this moment, you're gonna be with me in paradise. And we'll have the opportunity, if you have taken the path of humility and allowed Lord, Jesus to be the Lord of your life, we'll have the opportunity to meet this criminal someday. This criminal who was set free on a cross, ready to die, and just in a humble moment, in a humble breath, said, Jesus, could you remember me? Who, who knows what he was even really asking for? but he recognized he's the son of God. He recognized that he didn't deserve to be there and that he did deserve to be there. And Jesus said, today you're gonna be with me. And he's celebrating in heaven today because of that one moment of humility. With Jesus, the way up is always down. With Jesus, the way up is always down. If you want more for your life, learn how to serve more. If you want Jesus to honor you, learn how to honor others. Like it's always the opposite of what we're looking for. If we want to go higher in our relationship with God, we've gotta go lower in the way that we think of ourselves. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, if that thief had the opportunity to experience salvation and be in a single breath in heaven with Jesus that very next couple hours, then maybe Jesus could save me too. I made a lot of mistakes in my life, I've had a lot of mess, I've had a lot of pride, but today I wanna to take the path of humility and I want to experience true happiness and true joy that can only come from the joy of my salvation in him. If that's you in here, would you just do me a favor, everyone, just out of respect, would you just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment? If you're in this place and you say, you know what, I wanna be like the thief on the cross that day. I might not have lived the life, the criminal life that he lived, but I've lived a, a pretty wrecked up, messed up life. And today I want to surrender my life because that's what humility is. It's surrendering your life to Jesus. 
If that's you and you're here and you say, hey, today I wanna take that humble path and I wanna surrender, I wanna step off the throne, would you raise your hand? I see your hands, but more importantly, God sees your hands this morning. And it's the posture of your heart that he loves so much. He loves you dearly. I'm just gonna pray for you and under, under your breath there, just say, Jesus, today, you're the Lord of my life. Jesus, today I step off the throne and I, I come humbly before you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Save me, Jesus. Father, thank you so much for sending your son for us. We don't deserve the sacrifice that was given for us. We don't deserve the death that was paid for us. But God, I, I thank you right now that there are those in here that recognize who Jesus is and what he did. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to step off the thrones of our heart, to take away the pride in our lives, and to understand that if we want true happiness and true joy, we're searching in all the wrong places. But if we would just look into the eyes of Jesus and know that he's the author and finisher of our faith, he truly is the, he brings us joy through salvation. And Jesus, today I pray that there would truly be people saved in this place. God, just like the thief on the cross is celebrating in heaven, Lord, that their name would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and truly understand that they have a place in eternity because they walked humbly to you and gave their life to you today. Jesus, we thank you for those that have given their life. We ask that you would bless them, bless their families, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.